Good morning. Uh, if you'd please turn your Bibles, brothers and sisters, to Zechariah chapter 8. The book of Zechariah, we're continuing our series uh, through this wonderful book uh, in the Old Testament. And this morning we'll be looking at Zechariah chapter 8. Maybe you've heard of the great Welsh preacher, one of the greatest preachers um, by many estimations of the 20th century. Uh, the great Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was formerly a medical doctor and then gave his life uh, to the preaching of God's Word. Uh, many years ago, when Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, was preaching one day, there was a theological student uh, who was there, and after the service, you know, he was very curious. Uh, he saw Dr. Lloyd-Jones uh, go to the back of the hall and, and greet everybody and was talking with them, and he wanted to see, okay, what does uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones say to these people? You know, what, what, what is, how does he encourage them? What great piece of truth uh, does this learned man of God speak to them? And so he went there and, you know, he was standing by and to each person, Lloyd-Jones said the same thing. The same words, two words again and again. Keep on. Next person comes, keep on. Brother and sister, keep on. And this uh, student was quite stumped, you know, I mean, this is Martin Lloyd-Jones. I'm expecting something really profound. And what is, you're Martin Lloyd-Jones, keep on. Do you have something more to say? So afterwards, he talked with Lloyd-Jones and he said, uh, you know, I noticed you said the same thing to everybody. Keep on, so what do you mean? And uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones says, uh, dear man, because, uh, dear, dear brother, it's because of, it's of utmost importance in the Christian life. The Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon, and those who persevere till the end will be saved. Brothers and sisters, it's been a really hard season for our church, for us as Christians. I think, I mean, even this past week, thousands dying in India, I know some of our members have lost loved ones. Others among our members are just struggling with anxiety and concern. There are transitions in our own personal lives. So many of us, so many of you facing anxiety, uncertainty. There are transitions that we're constantly having to navigate as a church. Where do we find the strength to keep on in times like this? How do we keep on going on? Where do we find the motivation to obey God, to walk with Him, to keep on in the Christian life when it feels like there are just wave after wave of trials and discouragement? Well, this morning we're going to see that the Lord supplies us with the fuel necessary to keep on. He nourishes our hearts and strengthens us to keep on by feeding us with the feast of His promises. You know, last week uh, we saw Zechariah 7, and the text began with a question from God's people about fasting. This week, this whole narrative continues... And the text concludes with a promise 
about feasting. We're moving from fasting to feasting. Last week we saw that God wants us to obey Him from the heart, not just external rituals, but He wants us to obey Him from the heart. And this week, in today's passage, we'll see that God gives us the heart to obey and to live for Him. And the way that the Lord does this is by speaking to His people and giving us His promises. As we look at chapter 8 of Zechariah, you'll see that there are 10 sayings. If you look with me carefully, I hope you have your Bible with you or open this text on your mobile phone. You'll see again and again these words, thus says the Lord in verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 3, thus says the Lord. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 18, and the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts. I hope you were able to follow me there because those are the 10 promises or words that God speaks in this chapter. All of these are promises. God is speaking to his people 10 times. Think of it as uh, 10 magnificent dishes in this buffet, in this feast that God is giving us to strengthen us. And, And if you noticed the title being used for God throughout this chapter is the Lord of hosts. That title appears 18 times in this one chapter alone. 18 times in chapter 8, he's called the Lord of hosts. Why why is he called the Lord of hosts? What does that mean? The Lord of hosts means he is the Lord of armies. He is the God who commands heaven and earth. It's a reference to the might and the power of God. And, and why, why are we being reminded again and again of the might and the power of God? Because God wants us to know that He doesn't just speak promises, but He is powerful to fulfill all that He has spoken. And so we are coming this morning to Zechariah 8, and we're going to look at God's glorious promises here. And it's through the feast of these promises that the Lord sustains our faith, nourishes us, and motivates us to obedience and to keeping on. So remember I said there are 10 sayings here, 10 promises, and I'm going to group them into four sets. All right? So think of it like, like a four-course feast. All right? And uh, as we look at these four prom- sets of promises, the Lord is going to give us a boost in serving Him. I was listening to one preacher preach on this, and he said, your mouth should be watering as you come to these promises of God. The first set of promises can be summarized in this way. The Lord saves us. The Lord will save His people. Okay, and I'm going to group several sayings here uh, under this point. So, 
verses 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Next promise, verses 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Next promise in this group of promises, verse 7 and 8. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. So right in the midst of his people's discouragement, the Lord reveals himself as their savior with his promises to save. If you remember the context of Zechariah, these people had come back from exile. They had faced God's judgment for their sins, for the sins of, of their forefathers. They've come back from Babylon, back into the land, but everything is just so hard. They didn't have the supplies to do God's work. They were struggling with poverty. They were facing great discouragement, the difficulty of displacement. I mean, they came home thinking we're coming back to our own land, but they feel like refugees in their own homeland. There were disputes among them. We'll see in this chapter. These were tough times. And the work of rebuilding the temple has begun again. And, and they send this inquiry in chapter 7 to find out, oh, shall we go on fasting and weeping? And what, what can we do to make things better? And the Lord here is giving us an answer. Only the Lord can fix our brokenness. Only the Lord can restore His community. Only the Lord can save His people. The Lord wants to move them and move us from legalism and superstition that we heard about last week, thinking that, you know, by doing fasting or by doing some particular deed, I can somehow earn God's favor. God wants to move His people from that kind of a legalistic mindset into a joyful expectation of what the Lord will do of what God is doing and what God has done, that He saves His people. Look again at verses 1 and 2. The Lord says, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. We've talked before about the jealousy of the Lord. The jealousy of the Lord is a way of describing the intensity of God's love for His covenant people. That God has set His love on His people. His heart burns and overflows with love and compassion for those whom He has chosen to save. Brothers and sisters, that's you and me who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord is jealous for you, ECC, with great jealousy. The Lord is so jealous for us that He paid the price in blood to redeem us. That God the Father sent His only Son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ came. God the Son took on flesh and died on the cross, displaying His great love, His jealousy for His people to redeem us from sin and make us His. And God is jealous for His people with, with great wrath. He will bring judgment and justice against those who afflict His people. Not only is the Lord jealous for us, the Lord will restore us in His work of salvation. Look at verses 4 and 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, All men and all women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age, and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. I mean, these people were looking around at Jerusalem and wondering, what's this? What happened to our city? There's nobody here. There's hardly anything built up. The once beautiful city, Jerusalem, that they rejoiced in, was now just a pile of ashes. Just a few folks running around. And God is pointing them forward. He's saying, I'm going to restore this place. I'm going to restore my people. It's going to be overflowing. It's going to be beautiful. And brothers and sisters, may I remind you that these promises don't merely refer to an earthly Jerusalem and restoration of an earthly city. No, it's far greater in the plan of God. You know, one thing that will not change at the end of this pandemic, at the end of COVID-19, we don't know when it will end. Many of us thought this was something which would last for two months, and here we are now, 14 months later, still wearing masks. I don't know when this pandemic will end, but I know one thing that will not change, and that is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, through persecution, through pandemics. This is not the worst pandemic in human history. Through persecution, through pandemics, through every trial, every attack, through natural disasters, through empires falling and new empires rising, through all of this, what is it that has stayed constant, that has continued over the ages? It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is at work to keep his people. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so, brothers and sisters, we can fully expect that, yes, this pandemic may continue on for as long as the Lord wills, but at the end of it all, God will restore us, his people. We, we are here and we're still with these limitations, but there will come a time when we'll be once again filling this room. I'm confident in, in God's plan that old men and old women, David and Anna winning, and, and, and children, boys and girls, that, that ECC will raise our voices unhindered again. We can, we can pray and seek God for that. Seek God for the restoration of His church, of our church. And yet, even as we look at these verses, this is pointing us forward to something even greater than that. Something far greater than just the ch local church after the pandemic. No, this here is a, is a picture of heaven itself. That God will restore us finally one day in a new Jerusalem where all the redeemed of God, every one of his saved people 
will be present from every tribe and tongue and nation. All God's redeemed will be there. It will be overflowing. And there'll be no more death, no more tears, no more COVID, and no more fear. There'll be rejoicing as we're gathered in the presence of the Lord. The Lord saves His people. And then God says it very explicitly in verses 7 and 8. He says, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. The Lord will save his people from throughout the whole inhabited world. That's what this is saying. From east and from west. From sunrise to sunset, from all across the globe, the Lord is going to save, rescue His chosen ones. And His goal is to dwell with us, to dwell with His people. That God, our covenant God, who has made a covenant with us through our Lord Jesus Christ, will dwell with us and be our God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Friends, these promises have already begun to be fulfilled. These are fulfilled in and through our Lord Jesus Christ for us. We are the ones whom He has saved and gathered. This, as we gather as as, as the church, this is the beginning of the new Jerusalem that one day God will renew completely in this world. We are His people. He is our God now, dwelling with us as a church now in faithfulness and in righteousness. Our salvation is something that God has done and is doing in our midst. And it is also something that we wait for. We wait for the full consummation and completion of the promises of God. That there are promises here that are yet to be fulfilled for us. We wait for the new Jerusalem to be completely established and the world to be renewed and for us to dwell with God fully, face to face, in an even greater way than we experience now. Brothers and sisters, that ought to fuel our hearts. That ought to fill us with the joy and hope that enables us to keep on, that the Lord has saved us and He has promised that He will save us. And so we can keep going. So we've seen God act in salvation. That's the first group of promises I wanted to show you, the first course in the four-course feast. We're waiting still for the future completion of these saving promises. You know, as we wait for God to fulfill His promises, it's easy to grow tired and weary. It's, it's easy along the way to feel like you're going to lose heart and give up, overcome by weakness, overcome by fear. And so the Lord gives us another set of promises here. And in fact, this is the largest promise in this section. So the second course of the Four Course Feast here, the second major promise is that the Lord strengthens us. Not only does the Lord save us, 
but the Lord also strengthens us. Look at verses 9 to 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast, neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in, for I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord, for there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. So again, I have given you the context of the book of Zechariah. These people had come back to the land. They were supposed to rebuild the temple, but they were facing great discouragement, and, and the entire project of rebuilding the temple had been stalled. If you read the book of Haggai, which uh, is happening at the same time, these are kind of companion books, Haggai tells us that the people had given up work on the house of the Lord and gone ahead with just building their own houses. They were so discouraged by the situation, they said, you know what, we're done. I'm just going to build my own house. And they were busy doing that and neglected God's work. And of course, when God's people disobey in such ways, God withholds His blessing. That's what we see here in verse, verses 10. Before those days, there was no wage for any man or any wage for a beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in, for I set every man against his neighbor. God withdrew His blessing from them, and they were struggling for resources there were disputes among them, every man against his neighbor. There was no safety for them because they were afflicted by the enemy. All of this because they were neglecting God's work and just doing their own. They had lost heart. But now, God says there's a change in situation. But now, verse 11, I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. There shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. This is a picture of God's blessing, and God is promising them His blessing to motivate them, to strengthen them. them. To, to give them a little push to get up and get to work on building the house of the Lord, on doing God's work. The Lord says, fear not, but let your hands be strong. One preacher said, and, and I really like this, he says, this is a call to faithful and bold service to the Lord, always based on the promises of God. It is grace that produces faith. God's promises remove our fear and strengthen our resolve. You know, in some ways, I think what happened to this people here has happened to some of us. And some of us are in great danger of drift in this time. Now, if there are over 150 
to 200 members of ECC who over the last year have just disconnected. Never connected to a church-wide Zoom call, not even one. Drifting, not connected with the body of Christ, life group, not, never been to a single worship service, not tuning into the live stream. Discouragement and trials have led to disconnecting from the work of God and just carrying on with life. The Lord speaks into this situation. The Lord speaks into this situation and calls us to be engaged in the work of building His temple. The Lord speaks into this situation and says, Fear not. I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. Fear not. Let your hands be strong. The pandemic seems never-ending. Let your hands be strong. There's so much change and and transition in in society and and, and even in our church. So much change, so much transition. It gets so discouraging. Let your hands be strong. Oh, pastor, I feel tired and worn out from this season of suffering. Brother and sister, I feel it too. As, 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 as one who is serving the Lord, I feel it too. Tired and worn, worn out from suffering. Let your hands be strong. Fear not. Let your hands be strong, says the Lord. And this morning the Lord calls us to be strengthened by His glorious might and to carry on, to keep on in the work of building his temple and glorifying his name and serving his church and loving his people and walking with him in faith and obedience and preaching his gospel. Keep on, brothers and sisters. Let your hands be strong. So God saves us. He strengthens us for the work of building his temple, which is the church. But we must remember our temple is not a building of bricks and stones. The temple of the Lord in the Old Testament was pointing forward to a greater temple. A temple that's built in the Lord Jesus Christ where Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. A temple of living stones, a temple of people. We, the people of God, the church, we are God's temple. We are God's dwelling place. And what's of utmost importance in the book of Zechariah and in this passage is not just the restoration and rebuilding of a place, but the transformation of a people. God is concerned, I'm going to say that again, God is concerned not just about the restoration of His place, but the transformation of His people. And that brings us to, to, our, to our third set of promises here. The Lord saves us. That's the first course in the four-course feast. The second course in the four-course feast is that the Lord will strengthen us. The Lord strengthens us. And the third is that the Lord sanctifies us. The Lord sanctifies us. So let's look at two more promises which are grouped together in this set. Verse 3. Thus says the Lord... I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts 
the holy mountain. Look at verses 14 to 17. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Friends, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, God has come to us, his people. He dwells in the midst of Jerusalem. He dwells in us through the Spirit as a church, as a people. And the Lord comes to us and works in us so that his character is put on display to the world. That's what this is saying here. How we live demonstrates the saving work of God in our lives. We are the display of God's character. Look at what he said in verse 3. Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. What does it mean that Jerusalem shall be a faithful city? It means that it shall be filled with truth. This shall be a people who are faithful and loyal to the Lord and loyal to one another. Faithfulness, that word there is, is the word that is also used for truth. It, it, it is a, a reference to the truth of God, the truthfulness of God's own character. And the city of God is marked by this. The people of God are marked by lives of such truth and such faithfulness. Friends, that's us. That God has come and dwells among us and does a work in us such that our lives are to be marked by truth and faithfulness. Not just that, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, again, a picture of the people of God gathered together in God's presence, shall be the holy mountain. What does that mean, holy? It means a people devoted for God. Holy in the Old Testament refers to being set apart from sin and consecrated, devoted, specially reserved for the Lord. That's what the Lord does in us. We are His special people. That we are to be those who reflect His character. And maybe this morning, even as you hear this promise of God that He dwells with His people, that He is bringing good to His people, you are reminded that the Lord does a work of sanctification in His people. That means He transforms our lives to be more and more devoted to Him, to more and more reflect His truth and character. Maybe there are areas of your life, dear friend, dear brother or sister this morning, that you need to consider. Maybe there are relationships that you need to consider. And, and look and see, am I, are my relationships grounded in faithfulness and truth? Is my life marked by a devotedness to God and His purposes and His people? We are to be a faithful city and a holy mountain. And, and God continues in, in light of the fact that He has saved us. Verses 16 and 17, did you see that? He says, speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true. Make for peace. 
Don't devise evil in your hearts against one another. Love no false oath. All these things I hate, declares the Lord. You know, those, those verses, that, that phrase, speak the truth to one another, that's directly repeated in Ephesians chapter 4 in the passage we read today. That the new covenant people of God are to look this way, that we are those who speak truth and live loyally with one another. And do you notice you, you cannot obey these commands if you're not living in community with other Christians. That's why it's important to be part of the local church, to be committed in covenant in the local church as a member, to be involved in the lives of other believers, not just watch it online like a show or, or come here once a week and hi, bye, see you later. No, God demands from us relationships with others where we live in truthfulness where we're not devising evil against one another but thinking how to encourage one another for love and good works so that's our fourth set of promises that the lord saves us the lord strengthens us our third set of promises i'm sorry the lord saves us the lord strengthens us the lord sanctifies us and we've seen these beautiful truths he promises to save he promises to strengthen he promises to sanctify but there's much much more God's promises are so great and so glorious and God's feast is so beautiful and wonderful and delightful that the Lord extends the invitation far and wide and he wants us to carry that invitation far and wide to invite others to join the feast. And so our fourth set of God's promises here, the final course in the four-course feast, is that the Lord sends us. He saves us, he strengthens us, he sanctifies us, and he sends us. Verses 18 and 19, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month and the fast of the fifth and the fast of the seventh and the fast of the tenth shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love truth and peace. Again verses 20 to 22. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Did you hear that? That's an invitation. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Verse 23, thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Zechariah chapter 7 began with an inquiry about fasting. Should we keep fasting and, and weeping? And, and here, Zechariah chapter 8 ends with the promise of feasting, the fast. Of, of the fourth month and the fifth month and the seventh month and the tenth month shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. We've moved from ritual to rejoicing. And we are called to invite others to join the feast. Look at that, the inhabitants, verse 21, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor 
of the Lord. That's the same language, by the way, used at the start of chapter 7, where they said, let us go to entreat the favor of the Lord and inquire, should we fast? Here they're saying, let's go to entreat the favor of the Lord and enjoy the feast. And, and, and how do we bring people to this feast? Brothers and sisters, we share the gospel. This is you and me. We get to go to people and say, let us go to entreat the favor of the Lord. Let's seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Let me tell you about this feast. Let me tell you about this glorious banquet where God himself comes to his people. Let me tell you about what the Lord has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And we get to share, you get to share and invite your family and your friends and your co-workers and every person in the place that God has placed you. We are God's invitation crew calling people to this feast, saying that we are all sinners. We don't deserve a feast. We deserve judgment for our sins. But the holy God is a God of grace and mercy. And he has made a way for us to be a part of his great family, to be forgiven of our sin, to be cleansed, to be a part of his holy city and to enjoy his glorious feast. What has God done? He sent his own son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross as a substitute for sinners like you and me, paid the penalty for our sin by taking the judgment of God upon himself. And Jesus has risen from the dead, defeating sin and death and calls us now to turn away from our sin, to turn away from the things that are futile and to come and join him at his table. We were once enemies, but now we are invited to the table and banquet of God. Look at, look at what it says in the last verse there. In those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Friends, this is fulfilled in, in a way far greater than we could ever imagine. Not just in a Jew that people go and take hold of the robe and say, Show me where God is, God is with you. But in the Jew, the Jew, ultimate Jew, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has come fully God and fully man, fulfilling all of God's plans and promises. And in him, he is Emmanuel, God with us. And we are called to take hold of his robe and go with him. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to repent of your sins and to come and take hold of the robe of the Lord Jesus. Put your trust in Him and experience the promises and the feast that God has laid out for His people. You know, many years ago, I can tell you a story of a young man who was living a godless life, who was wild and rebellious, didn't care if there was a God, didn't know if there was a God. And this wicked fellow had many friends who often joined him in wickedness. There's one person that he saw whose life was 
just absolutely different from everybody else, whose life was compelling, whose life was marked by faithfulness, and whose life was marked by truth. And this wicked fellow was so compelled. He knew a lot of religious people, but these people did their religion, but it never brought any transformation or change in their life. But this one person was so compelling that he said, you know, tell me about your church. And on Sunday morning, you know, the, the friend invited him to church and the guy was sleeping and decided he won't go, but the friend called again and said, hey, are you still coming to church with me? I went to church with my friend. And as I saw the lives of people in that church, I said, if there is a God, God is with these people. Friends, would our lives be like that? That our friends would look at our lives and say, let us go with you, for God is with you. I want to show you the last promise in this chapter. Verse 6. I've seen four sets of promises. This is kind of like the cherry on the top of the dessert. Okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord. God is doing something that is so marvelous. It is beyond what we can ever, ever imagine. C.S. Lewis said, we are far too easily pleased. Sometimes we are like a little child who wants to make mud pies in the dirt in the slums when we've been promised and offered a, a, a holiday and vacation by the sea and the beach. We've got to begin to recognize and grasp the glorious nature of God's promises. It's marvelous. And what's even more marvelous is the way that God has accomplished His promises. You know, we often have wedding invitations in India. I, I get these wedding invitations. Uh, and the wedding invitation has a verse, right, usually on top. What is the common verse? Psalm 118, verse 23. Maybe you've used that on your invitation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. We often forget the context of that verse. By the way, it's the same language that's used in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 6. If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people, should it not also be marvelous in my eyes, declares the Lord. Same language, all right? So Zechariah 6, is, Zechariah is thinking about Psalm 118 here. The context of this verse, Psalm 118, verses 22 and 23. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Friends, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is marvelous in the sight of God. And the promises that Jesus brings to us through his death and resurrection are more marvelous than you can ever imagine. So let's keep on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great and glorious promises. Help us keep our eyes on the feast. Help us trust your promises and obey you and be strengthened by you for every good work to invite others to join us 
in your great and glorious kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.